section eight of the murder of delicia this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. read by angelique campbell may two thousand nineteen the murder of delicia by marie corelli chapter six it was no impetus of feminine recrimination or spite that had caused alicia to go out on that particular evening and thus deprive her husband of her society in the same abrupt fashion with which he had so often deprived her of his mr and mrs cavendish were old friends of hers they had known her when she was a little orphan girl with no brothers or sisters no companions of her own age to amuse her nothing in fact but her own pensive and romantic thoughts which had though she then knew it not helped to weave her now brilliant destiny they were elderly childless people and they had always been devoted to delicia so that when mrs cavendish paid an unexpected call in the afternoon and stated that she and her husband were mopey and that they would take it very kindly if delicia would come and dine with him and afterwards accompany them to the empire for which they had a box near the stage delicia readily accepted the proposition as a welcome change from her own uncomfortable and unprofitable thoughts to begin with she had grown so accustomed now to her husband's telegrams announcing that he would not be back to dinner that she accepted his absence as a far greater probability than his home returning therefore she was glad of the chance of dining in friendly company next the idea of going to the empire filled her with a certain sense of pained curiosity and excitement la marina was the chief attraction there and she had never seen her so she shut up her books and papers put on a simple black skirt and a pretty blouse of soft pink chiffon daintily adorned with a shoulder knot of roses tied her rich hair up in the fashion of the picture of madame la brune with a stripe of pink ribbon bade good-bye to spartan gave him her glove to guard by way of consolation and then went with her old friend leaving for her husband in case he should return a brief note that had vexed his high mightiness so seriously and it was with a strained anticipation and sharp unrest that she sat in the box at the empire withdrawn from view as much as possible and waited for the appearance of the famous dancer whose performance was advertised on the program as marvellous evolution the birth of a butterfly la marina the music hall was crowded and looking down on the densely packed arena she saw rows and rows of men smoking grinning whispering in each other's ears some sitting squatting up all taste with the bulging appearance of overfilled flour sacks the extended feet beyond the sacks and the apoplectically swelled heads on the tops thereof suggestive of the full meals just enjoyed others standing up with opera glasses levelled at the promenade or else leering in the same direction without glasses at all there were young men sodden and stupid with smoke and drink and old men blear-eyed and weak-jointed painfully endeavouring to assume the airs of joyous juvenility there were fast women with eyelashes so darkened with coal as to give them the appearance at a distance of having no eyes at all but only black sockets middle-aged frowsy feminine toppers whose very expression of face intimated a looking forward to the next glass and a few almost palsily 
grief-stricken antiquities of womanhood the possible ruins of fifty-year-ago ballet girls and toe-and-heel stage fairies who sat in the stalls twisting their poor old mouths under the contortion of a coquettish smile a contortion dreadfully reminding one of the way a skull grins when some careless grave-digger throws it out of the mould where it is hidden as ghastly mirth for perhaps twenty years all this seething witch's cauldron of life delicia looked down upon with a mingling of shame and sorrow were these low-looking creatures real humanity the humanity which god created and redeemed surely not they were more like apes than human beings how was it and why was it she was still pondering the question when old mr cavendish spoke not a very distinguished audience is it delicia he said he had called her delicia from childhood and he did not care at the age of sixty-five to break himself of the pleasant habit no she replied with a faint smile i have never been here before have you oh yes often and so has my wife the great advantage of music halls like these is that one can come and be entertained at any moment of the evening without being forced to devour one's dinner with the lightning speed of a yankee tourist the mistake made by all theatre managers is the earliness of the hour they appoint for the rising of the curtain eight o'clock good heavens that's the usual london dinner-time and if one wants to get to the theatre punctually one must dine at six-thirty which is ridiculous ought to commence at half-past nine and finish at half-past eleven especially during the season no man who loves his home comfort cares to gallop through the pleasantest meal of the day and rush off to a theatre at eight o'clock is hard work and is seldom rewarded by any real pleasure the empire and other places of the same character get on so very well partially because they leave us a certain choice of hours la marina you see doesn't come on till ten she is very beautiful isn't she asked alicia oh my dear said mrs cavendish laughing a little beautiful is rather a strong expression she's a well what would you call her robert appealing to her husband i shall call her a fine fleshy woman answered mr cavendish coarsely built certainly and i should say she drank a good deal she'll get on all right enough while she's young but at middle age she'll be an appalling spectacle in the way of fat he laughed but alicia scarcely heard his last words she was lost in a wandering reverie she could have easily understood a low-minded man becoming enamoured of an equally low-minded woman but what puzzled her was to realize that her handsome and proudly aristocratic husband should find anything attractive in a person who was coarse and drank a good deal but now the musical prelude to the wonderful birth of a butterfly began and the low shivering of the violins responded to the melodious complaints of the deeper toned cellos as the lights of the empire were darkened and over the crowded audience the kindly veil of a semi-obscurity fell hiding the play of mean and coarse emotions on many a degraded face and completely shadowing the wicked devilry of eyes so bereft of honesty that had hell itself needed fresh sparks to kindle flame those ugly human glances might have served the purpose the curtain rose displaying an exquisitely painted scene called the garden of aurora where in the rosy radiance of a deftly simulated dawn of day 
the green trees trembled to the murmur of the subdued orchestral music and roses admirable creations of calico and gauze hung from the wings in gay clusters looking almost as if they were real in the middle of the stage on a broad green leaf that glittered with a thousand sparkles of imitation dew lay a large golden cocoon perfect in shape and shining gloriously in the beams of the mimic sun to the central object the gay of everyone in the audience was drawn and fixed the music now grew wilder and sharper the violins began to scream the cellos to swear and sound itself torn into shreds of impatient vibration was beginning to protest disconcordantly at the whole representation when lo the golden cocoon grew slowly more and more transparent as if some invisible hand were winding off the silken treasure of the spinning and the white form of a woman was dimly delicately seen through the half-opaque covering loud murmurs of applause began which swelled into a rapturous roar of ecstasy as with a sudden sharp noise which was echoed and repeated in the orchestra the cocoon split asunder and la marina bounded forward to the footlights clad in diaphanous drapery which scarcely concealed her form and spreading forth two white butterfly wings illuminated in some mysterious way by electricity she commenced her gliding dance an intricate whirl of wonderful sinuous movements every one of which might have served as a study for a sculptor her feet moved flyingly without sound her face artistically tinted for stage effect was beautiful her hair of reddish-brown lit weirdly by concealed electric dewdrops flowed about her in a cloud that resembled a smouldering fire and as she danced she smiled as sweetly and with as perfect an imitation of childlike innocence as though she had in very truth been newly born in fairyland that night just as she seemed a creature of light love and mirth with no idea at all of the brandy awaiting her by her own order in her dressing-room off the wings and alicia frozen into a kind of unnatural calm watched her steadily coldly critically and watching realized that the bond street jeweller had not spoken without knowledge for there on marina's panting bosom gleamed the diamond dove carrying the golden love token which said ami, flashing brilliantly with every toss and whirl of the dancer's pliant body it was to delicia the proof positive of her husband's dishonor and yet she found it difficult to grasp the truth at once she was not aware of any particular emotion of hurt or rage or grief she only felt very cold and sick and she could not put so strong a control on herself as to quite hide these physical sensations altogether for mrs cavendish glancing at her in alarm exclaimed delicia you are not well robert she's going to faint take her out of the box give her some air delicia forced herself to smile to speak it is nothing i assure you she said nothing but the heat and the smoke pray do not mind me it will soon pass but despite her words she half rose and looked nervously about her as if seeking for some escape then refusing mr cavendish's hastily offered arm she sat down again i will see this dance out 
she said tremulously and then perhaps if you are ready we will go and she turned her eyes once more on the stage which was now flooded with purple and a golden light causing la marina in her impersonation of a butterfly to glow with all the brilliant and soft colours of the rainbow her white wings were irradiated with all sorts of wonderful tints now crimson now blue now green and in the midst of all the glitter and play of light shone marina's face smiling with a sweetly simulated expression of innocence while the diamond dove sparkled beneath her rounded chin and as delicia glanced from her to the arena to see the effect of the performance on the audience she started and in the extreme tension of her nerves almost screamed for there looking straight up at her was her husband their eyes met the crowded space of the auditorium and the brightly lit stage the swaying figure of the popular dancer gliding to and fro upon it severed them the visible and outward signs of a wider separation to come lord carleon served his wife with a lofty and offended air and quickly understanding the expression on his features delicia could have laughed aloud had she been less stunned and miserable for he was assuming an aspect of injured virtue which considering the actual state of affairs had something ludicrous about it and for a moment delicia studied him with a curiously calm and critical analysis just as if he were a subject for literary treatment and no more she saw from his very look upward at her that he considered her to have outraged the proprieties by visiting the empire at all even though she was accompanied by two of her oldest and most familiar friends and of his own guilt in connection with la marina it was highly probable he never thought at all men are judged to be excellent logicians superseding in that particular branch of knowledge all the feeble efforts of womankind and undoubtedly they have a very peculiar form of arguing out excesses for their own vices which must be acknowledged as exceedingly admirable before la marina's gyrations were over and while the male part of the audience was exhausting itself in frantic salvos of applause delicia was moved by such a keen and pungent appreciation of the comedy side of this situation that she could not help smiling it was a wide wound in her heart but it was so deep and deadly that as yet the true anguish of it was not betrayed the throbbing ache had not begun and she herself was scarcely as yet aware of her own mortal hurt the brilliancy of her brain saved her for the time being from knowing to what extent her tenderest and best emotions had been outraged and she could not avoid perceiving something almost droll in the fact that she delicia had worked among other things for this to enable her husband to deck his mistress with jewels purchased out of her hard earnings it is very funny she said half aloud and perhaps the funniest thing of all is that i should never have thought it of him what did you say delicia asked mr cavendish bending down towards her delicia smiled nothing she replied i was talking to myself which is a bad habit i saw will just now he's in the arena somewhere i expect he's not best pleased to see me here well he's here himself often enough retorted mr cavendish at least if one is to believe what people say ah 
but one must never believe what people say answered alicia still smiling quite radiantly the majority of mankind tells more lies than truths it suits their social customs and conveniences better may we go now willingly and the cavendishes rose shall we look for lord corleone oh no no there is such a crowd we should never find him he will probably go home in a hansom they left the hall and alicia who had placed her carriage at the service of her friends that night took them back in it to their own door you haven't told us what you think of la marina said mrs cavendish smiling when they were bidding each other good-night were you disappointed in her not at all delicia answered tranquilly she is an admirable dancer i never expected her to be anything more than that numbers of men have quite lost their heads about her observed mr cavendish as he stood on the pavement outside his house and looked in at delicia where she sat in her carriage shadowed from the light somebody told me the other day she has more jewels than a queen no doubt answered delicia carelessly she is a toy and the only chance she has of not being broken is to make herself expensive good-night she waved her hand and was driven off mr and mrs cavendish entered their own quiet house and in the semi-lighted hall looked at each other questioningly it is no use dropping any more casual hints said mr cavendish almost crossly she doesn't take them i don't think she'll ever believe a word against carleon responded his wife and old friends as we are we should only offend her if we speak out and tell her all we hear it is no use making mischief it is no use speaking truth you mean observed mr cavendish what a singular thing it is that one can never be honest in society without offending somebody mrs cavendish sighed and smiled she had had her turn of social life long years ago and had gotten thoroughly tired of its vapid folly and hypocrisy but she had managed to find a good husband and for that was daily and hourly thankful the great sorrow of her life was that she had not been blessed with children and it was partly this shadow on her otherwise happy and tranquil lot which made her attachment to delicia particularly tender had that brilliant and popular novelist been her own daughter she could not have loved her more and there was an uneasy sense of foreboding in her good motherly soul that night which kept her awake for a long time thinking and wondering as to what would happen if certain rumours concerning lord carleon turned out to be true she knew delicia's character better than most people she was aware that beneath that apparent apparently pliant sweet nature there was a resolute spirit strong as iron firm as adamant a spirit which would assuredly make for right and justice whenever and however tested and tried but she could not foresee in what way delicia would resent a wrong supposing she had cause for such resentment she looked slight as a reed and delicate as a lily but appearances are deceptive and nothing can well be more foolish than to estimate a person's mental capacity by his or her outward bearing a rapier is a thin light weapon but it can nevertheless kill a nightingale has nothing to boast of in its plumage but its singing surpasses that of all the other birds in creation only the purely barbaric mind judges things or individuals by surface appearances any one who had attempted to fathom delicia's character by her looks would have formed a very erroneous estimate of her for 
to the casual observer she was merely a pretty lovable woman with a sunny smile and a graceful bearing and that was all no one would have given her credit for such virtues as strong self-reliant courage determination and absolute indifference to opinions yet all these she had in no small degree combined with an extraordinary directness and swiftness of action which is commendable enough when it distinguishes a man but is somewhat astonishing when discovered in the naturally capricious composition of a woman this direct method of conduct impelled her now for while mrs cavendish lay awake worrying about her she herself on returning home that evening had fully made up her mind as to what she meant to do going into her study she sat down and wrote a letter to her husband in which with concise and uncomplaining brevity she told him all she concluded her epistle thus i am unable to tell you my own feelings on this matter as i have not yet had time to realize them even to myself the surprise is too sudden the disappointment i experience in you too keen i am quite aware that many men keep stage artistes for their own amusement in hours of leisure but i do not think they are accustomed to do so on their wives earnings it would be inexpressibly painful to me to have to talk this over with you it is a subject i could not possibly discuss i therefore deem it best to leave you for a few days in order that we may both apart from one another have leisure in which to consider our positions and arrange what is best to do for the future in order to save all unnecessary gossip and scandal i shall return to town in time for lady dexter's crush to which we are both especially invited i am going to broadstairs and will telegraph my address on arrival delicia vaughan when she had written all she had to say she placed the letter in an envelope addressed it and calling robson bade him deliver it to his master directly he returned robson glanced at her deferentially wondering within himself at the extreme pallor of her face and feverish brightness of her eyes her lordship said he would probably not return to-night he ventured to observe delicia started slightly but quickly controlled herself did he well whenever he does return give him that letter yes my lady he withdrew and alicia went quietly upstairs to her bedroom and summoned her maid i am going down to the sea for a few days emily she said to broadstairs just put my things together and be ready yourself by ten o'clock to-morrow morning emily a bright-looking young woman who had none of the airs and graces about her which are too frequently assumed by ladies maids and who moreover had the further recommendation of being devotedly attached to her mistress received her instructions with her usual pleased readiness and set about loosening her lady's hair for the night as she unwound the glistening mass and let it fall delicia suddenly started up with a smothered cry of pain oh my lady what is it exclaimed emily startled delicia stood trembling and looking at her nothing nothing she faltered at last faintly forcing a smile i have just found out something that is all something i did not quite understand before i understand it now i understand my god i understand there emily don't look so frightened i am not ill i am only a little tired and puzzled you can go now i would rather be alone be sure you call me in good time for the train and have everything packed in readiness i shall take spartan with me yes my lady stammered emily still looking a trifle scared 
are you sure you're not ill can i do anything for you no nothing answered alicia gently go to bed emily and get up early that's all good night good night my lady and emily reluctantly retired left alone delicia moved to the door and locked it then turning she drew aside the curtain which hung before the niche she called her oratory where an ivory crucifix hung white against draperies of purple the anguished eyes of the suffering saviour looked down upon her the thorn-crowned head drooped as it were towards her the man of sorrows acquainted with grief with arms outstretched upon the cross seemed waiting to receive her and with a sudden sobbing cry she fell on her knees oh my god my god she wailed i know now what i have lost all my love and all my joy gone gone like a foolish dream gone forever gone and nothing left but the crown of thorns called fame shuddering she hid her face on the curtain of her prey too and wept slow passionate tears that rose from a breaking heart and scalded her eyelids as they fell veiled in the golden glory of her hair she fretted like a little ailing child till finally exhausted and shivering with emotion she lifted her head and looked straight at the sculptured christ that faced her i have loved him too much she said half aloud i have made him the idol of my life and i am punished for my sin we are all apt to forget the thunders of mount sinai and the great voice which said thou shalt have none other god save me i had forgotten nay i was almost willing to forget i am made of my beloved a god and he is made of me a convenience she rose flung back her hair over her shoulders and standing still for a moment listened there was not a sound in the house save an occasional uneasy movement from spartan who was lying on his mat outside her bedroom door my lord's sense of what is right and proper for a woman has been outraged to-night by seeing me at the empire she said with a little disdainful smile but his notions of morality do not go far enough to prevent him from being with la marina at this very moment a look of disgust passed over her mobile features <laughs> poor love poor little delicate moth how soon a coarse touch will kill it kill it hopelessly so that it will never rise again it is the only passion i think we possess that once dead can never be resuscitated ambition is perennial but love it is the aloe flower that blossoms but once in a hundred years i wonder what i shall do with my life now now that it is crippled and paralyzed she walked slowly to her mirror and looked long and earnestly at her own reflection you poor little woman she said pityingly what a mistake you have made of it you fancied that out of all the world of men you had won for yourself a hero a man whose nature was noble whose disposition was chivalrous whose tenderness and truth were never to be doubted a protector and defender who had any one presumed to slander you would have struck the liar across the mouth and made him answer for his insolence instead of this wonderful mark antony or thasius of your imagination what 
have you got don't be afraid poor delicia i see your mouth trembling and your eyes filling with foolish tears and that's all nonsense you know you must not shrink from the truth my dear and if god has chosen to take up your beautiful idol and rake it in your sight you must not begin to argue about it or try to pick up the pieces and tell god he is wrong courage delicia face it out what did you think you had won for sure certainty out of all the flitting pageant of this world's illusions a true heart a faithful lover and as before said a kind of theseus in looks and bravery but even theseus deserted ariadne and in this case your hero has deserted you only what you have to realize you deluded creature is this that he is not a hero at all that he never was a hero that is the hardest part isn't it to think that the god you have worshipped is no more than an officer and gentleman as a great many officers and gentlemen go who lives comfortably on your earnings and spends the surplus money on the race-course music-halls and la marina put off your rose-coloured spectacles my dear and look at him as he is don't be a little coward about it yes i know what you are saying over and over again in your own heart i loved him oh i loved him like the burden of a sentimental song of course you loved him how deeply how passionately how dearly you will never never be able to express even to yourself here in spite of her remonstrances to her own image in the glass the tears brimmed over and fell there of course i suppose you must cry a little you can't help it you have been so thoroughly deceived and the disillusion is so complete you poor poor little woman and moved by a quaint compassion for herself she leaned forward and kissed the reflection of her own quivering lips in the mirror it is no good your looking about anywhere for consolation she went on wiping away her tears you are not made after the fashion of the modern lady who can love anywhere and everywhere so large as her heart you are of that dreadfully old-world type of person who loving once can never love again your love is killed in you you are only half yourself now and you must make the best of it you must cut down your sentiments smother your emotions and live like st john in the wilderness on locust and wild honey by which you will for the future understand the rewards of fame and you will be in a desert all by yourself fasting fasting day and night for the food of tenderness and love which you will never never get remember that that's rather a hard lot you poor weeping weak little woman but it's marked out for you and you will have to bear it she smiled a pained difficult smile and she watched her own reflection smile back at her in the same sad way glancing at a timepiece on her dressing-table she saw it was nearly two in the morning her husband had not returned twisting up her hair in a loose knot she lay down on the bed and tried to sleep but only succeeded in falling into an uneasy doze for about an hour ill and restless as she felt however she was up and dressed when her maid came to her in the morning and before eleven o'clock she had left the house 
with spartan sitting beside her on the floor of the brougham which took her to the station from whence she started for broadstairs she left no instructions with her household beyond impressing once again upon robson the urgent necessity of giving lord carleon the letter she had written for him as soon as he returned robson promised implicit obedience and watched the disappearance of the carriage containing his lady her maid and her dog with feelings of mingled curiosity and uneasiness something's in the wind i'm pretty sure he mused she has never gone away in this way sudden like before very quiet too she looks and very pale she wouldn't be the one to make a fuss about anything but she'd feel all the more i wonder if she knows he stopped abruptly in the middle of the hall evidently struck by this idea and repeated the words to himself slowly and reflectively i wonder if she knows End of chapter 6